The sermon text reading today is from John 21, verses 1 through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in, a, in, a, in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Martha. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm the pastor of spiritual formation here. And it's my pleasure to bring the word today. 
hopefully the last time for a while, because <laughs> he's back, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So if you've been coming to City Church for a while, you know that emotional health is a value. And if you've been here for a long while, you know this dude preaches on this text all the time, right? Like, I preached on this less than a year ago, just so you know. I see some nods, yep. And they're like, come on, just get over it. You know, this text has become probably a big part of the DNA of the, this body because we, we say this often. We, we say that, first of all, the church does not have the corner of the market on emotional and spiritual health. Um, excuse me, emotional health. Emotional maturity is what I meant to say. But we, we say that if you want to be spiritually healthy, you have to be emotionally healthy too. Because you can't be spiritually mature and not be emotionally healthy. And so emotional health has been a value at City Church that we are cultivating and that we are trying to grow in. And I see some curiosity on faces there. Please bear with me as we, we, we move through the passage here. But it's been a, a huge value at City Church, and it's one we want to continue. Even at our leadership meeting a few weeks ago, or I guess it was a week ago, right? Gosh, it feels like a, long, a lot of life's happened since then. But Kirsten stood up, and she showed our DNA materials that we've gone through. And she said, okay, is this heart or head? And then she had to sit up, stand up or sit down based on it. And it was, it was pretty funny how it was mixed. Because a lot of the materials we pursue, we, we want them to deal with the head and the heart. Not just what we know, left brain, right? What we're language, linear thinking, logic. That's very left brain. But also the right brain, intuition, story, connection, relationship. That's right brain. We want to integrate those things at City Church. And there's a big value here. We've been in a series called Seeing, Savoring, and Showing Jesus. And in that, we've tried to do the same thing through this series to really bring that connection, bring us into integration together, to be a church of where we, we, we know what we know, but we also live what we know, right? We, relationally, the way we connect. And we, our goal through this entire series, which we're ending today, has been to see Jesus, to see him, to look at him. To, to learn from, from seeing these different encounters. What do we get to know about him? And through what we're getting to know, begin to savor him. Savoring is a different type of sight, right? It's like it's, it's the, the difference between knowing about some, a, a good food and then tasting that good food, going deeper, right? And then what we've been saying is that when seeing goes to savoring, we spontaneously begin to show him. He begins to come out of us because we can't help but celebrate what we love. Right? Did you see that movie? Top Gun 2, did you see it? You, you can't help it, right? It's like when you enjoy something, you, you tell people about it. And that's the way evangelism and the love of God works most, most naturally, is that it infects inside of us and comes out of us. And so our text has been 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled faith, right? There's no more veil needed, are beholding the glory of the Lord. Beholding. Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, right? And so, who is the Spirit? That has been our text that we've, we've anchored on. And today we continue our series with John 21 and this encounter with Peter. And I love it because it's the last encounter we see in Scripture with Jesus, with the risen Lord. The last one. And then we go from John 21. The next chapter in our Bible is Acts 1. John 1, which we've preached on many times here, is often called the prologue, right? So John, John's main gospel is 2 through 20. 20 is a traditional ending to a gospel, if you didn't know. It's where the Great Commission for John is. Just as the Father sent me into the world, I'm sending you. And typically a gospel will stop. And then we have this other addition. And, and it's often been called the epilogue. 
So if John 1 is just as the, the Father sent the Son into the world, the Son put on flesh, entered the world, you know what John 21 is? It's now his disciples putting on Jesus, going into the world without him. And so that's why we slow down with this text. What is it about this encounter that teaches us how to be like him, be transformed by him, how to be the community he's called us to be in the world? That's our text this morning. And so John deals with, just to say simply, what happened to Peter? What happened to him? You know the last time we see Peter and John is John 18. That's when he curses the name of Jesus and denies him. John 21 is just loose end. How does Peter go from John 18 to the Peter we see today? Let's look at it. How do we, how do we get there? We're going we're gonna to look at three things that, that, that this enca- the encounters with Jesus does in us and through us. And the first one is it deepens our community. It deepens our community. And you have to kind of slow down to see this in the text because it's, it's interesting the way it starts. So look at one, two, three. It says, after this again, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. If you don't know, Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. It's just another name. So the same place he called them, they're back there now again. Okay? Sea of Tiberias, he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and, sons of De- and the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, and two other disciples were together. Just leave it up there for a second. Seven people are in this boat. I want to ask you, how many, based on what the text says, are fishermen? Peter, James, and John. So the first question is, what are they doing in the boat? I'm about to give you something really profound. Just because Peter wanted to go fishing. <laughs> and their friends. He wanted to go fishing. I'm going fishing. And they're like, you know what? We're not fishermen, but we're coming too. We're going with you. And now look at them, guys. So do you remember, do you remember anything about Nathan, Nathaniel? Nathaniel is when Jesus walks up to that man, and he's there, and he says, how can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, he has that real pejorative statement, like, about Jesus. And Jesus says, behold, I saw you under the fig tree. Remember what Nathaniel does? Behold, my God, my Lord, my Savior. You know, he's like, he, like, gets all weird and gushy and, and just fully all in all of a sudden, right? What do you know about Thomas? What do we call him? Anybody? Doubting Thomas. He could not be more different than Nathaniel, right? He says, I will not believe unless I put my fingers in the holes in his hands or in his side. That's what Thomas says, right? Nathaniel and Thomas are in the boat together. What do we know about John? John is, he's so left brain, right? Like in some ways he like, he's just, actually John I think is so integrated. (laughs) He's just so healthy it feels like sometimes, right? He's laying on his chest. But he's always the one to figure things out quickly. That's why I said left wing. He's just, hey, you, know, you remember when they're running to the, to the open tomb? They, they're running, and John must be way faster than Peter. Because they get there, and John stops and looks in. Remember? You remember what Peter does? <clears throat> you know, he blows past him and just goes right in, right? That couldn't, say, that couldn't tell you about their personalities any better than that scene right there. John is slow, methodical, thoughtful. Peter is compulsive. He just jumps right in. He dives in, right? What has, what has people so different somehow together? Friends, that's our gospel. That's our gospel. That's, that's the one who unites us. It doesn't matter what makes us different here in this world, personality-wise, nurture versus nature, jobs, 
skin color. It doesn't matter. Jesus unites us. He, he is something common that brings us together as his people. That's why we have common union, communion. It's the table together where we, we celebrate, rejoice, and deepen this common union together, right? So that's the first thing we see. And I, I have two practical questions. Who wants to go fishing with you? When you go play golf, who says, man, I want to go with you? Right? And that's, that's the one that's great. But, you know, the opposite one is like, the, the harder one, I think, is like, who do you ask to go with? You know, to, be, to be a good friend or to have a good friend, you've got to be a good friend. Like, who do you invite to go with you? Who do you, who do you impose on here, right? And, and I, I would tell you, the pandemic has left us so alone and so isolated, and we need this part of this passage probably more than ever. We need to go fishing together, guys. I'm not a very good fisherman, but, or golfer, <laughs> but I'd love to, to, like, what does that look like for us as a body? And so that's the first thing. But also, in that, isn't there this mundaneness in this passage? We got people fishing, we got a campfire. Just feels good. Right? It's just this normal everyday life. And Jesus meets them in that mundane place. And I, I hope that, that you know that it doesn't have to be DNA group, it doesn't have to be neighborhood community. It's we encounter him together in the mundane places, right? And and then lastly is this part of this point is we could we we get together. They're in the boat together, and then they come and Jesus encounters Peter in front of these disciples. And yeah, they go walking at some point, but there is something that happens here that's important for all of them that's happening in Peter. Do you, do you know our transformation, each one of our transformations is so important for the rest of the body is what, what Scripture tells us and teaches us. So where are you right now when you came in today? Were you eager to see people? Who was looking for your face today? Whose face were you looking for? Who needs to hear how you're doing right now? Just would love to just start this morning because Jesus gives us a new community and a new way to live in community and all the things that would typically separate us, they don't have to anymore. We have a common union in our Savior. We have a community defined by Jesus. And growth together will be, he says, will be us coming together as that community, living together in, with all the gifts and all the differences together. We grow up into him, Ephesians says. So that's our first one. But our next one is Jesus now, he deepens Peter's discipleship. Like he takes Peter deeper. And so let's look at that. John 21, it evokes or even provokes two stories from Scripture. The first one is what I said at the beginning. This is the Sea of Galilee. The first time they're out, remember? Jesus is out. He, he comes to the sea. He comes to the shoreline. They've been out fishing all night. And he says, he gets in their boat. He imposes on them. He gets in their boat and he says, go out. I'm, I'm gonna, I want you to throw your nets out again. And Peter says, well, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. But because you say it, we'll do it. And remember, they caught so many fish, the nets actually start to break open, which is different than our text. Nets start to break open. They start to rip. There's all these fish. Do you, anyone remember what Peter does? He's Simon at that point. He falls on his face and he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. In the presence of the glory of God, he cannot stand up even. Get away. He is, he is confronted with his shame and his sin. So much so, disconnect. Get away from me. I'm not worthy to be near you, is what he says, right? Look at our passage. They're fishing all night. They don't recognize Jesus. That's this strange thing that happens after the resurrection. Like, is that him or is it not him? 
You know, there's something about the resurrected state that, that they're, they're not quite sure, but and then they say, it's him. No one asks, it's him, right? It's just this interesting way. And, and John says, oh, my gosh, that's the Lord. And they catch all these fish. And remember Peter this time? He dives in the water. Look at the growth, friends. Why does he dive in? Why does he dive in right here? He knows all the failures. He was told, you will fail me. Even if all of them do, I will not fail you. That's what Peter says. Jesus comes to the shore and fills his nets with bread. Do you see that? The repentance hasn't happened yet. There hasn't been confession. There hasn't been him owning what he did, right? And Jesus comes again to that place and says, it's not your obedience. It's not it's not you're special in some other way. You're special because I chose you, and I'm filling your nets again. And then what does that lead Peter to do? Peter gets it, guys. It's not my behavior. It was never that. It's not how strong I am. It's not how gifted I am. No, he fills my nets because he loves me. And what does his love lead to? He dives in. He swims to his Savior. He has to be near him now. His shame will not keep him away. But Jesus must go deeper, right? And that's where our text goes. Is, is John's very clear. Look at verse 9. It says, When he got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. That word charcoal fire is two times in Scripture. The first time is John 18, 18. In John 18, that's where Peter was standing when he failed his Savior, when he did what he said he wouldn't do. And three questions were asked of him. Hey, you're one of them. You have, you have that Galilean dialect. You're one of them, right? No, I don't know this man. <laughs> Surely I saw you with him. No, I don't know him. And I, to be honest, I can't quote the last one. He, he curses Jesus' name the third time. It'd be like me using an explicative with Jesus' name right now. That's how far Peter goes. And what is Peter doing there? He's doing what Eve was doing. He's surviving his way. With Adam and, that's what Adam and Eve did in Genesis. Oh, we're, we're going to do it our way. We're going to eat the fruit. We're going we're gonna to go about it our way. We're, we're, we're going to decide what health and life looks like. Jesus, I mean, Peter preserves life himself. That's what happens at this fire. And so Jesus, what does he do, friends? Jesus starts a charcoal fire. Peter comes up on shore. The very smell, the feel, the sound. You know, I mean, just think through right now for a moment. Go to a charcoal fire. The popping, the smoke, right? That's exactly what Peter felt when he denied him. Jesus recreates the very place of his deepest shame to take him back to that place. Now, we, we talk some, if you, not in these circles, but we talk about explicit and implicit memory. You know, I'm not going to get into it too far, but explicit memory is like, I remember when third grade, my teacher used to whip my butt. <laughs> you can't do that anymore, but I remember that, right? Like, I remember she used to make us write sentences and she would spank us. Absolutely. I, re- I just, I remember that. Implicit memory are these things we do, the behaviors that show up in our life that come from past memories, but we don't have any, any sense of what those memories are. And you know what happens in implicit memory? This is where we learn to hate ourselves. This is when we learned, when we saw that look on our dad's face over and over of anger, we learned something about ourselves. And today, we don't know what, we, we don't name, oh, it's, it's my dad's angry face coming at me. That's, that's not what happens. 
what happens is we do these behaviors and participate in ways or push away relationships or move towards relationships or we have this volatility ah, that comes out of us that we can't control or we're shut down in places that we don't understand. All of that coming from places in us that are, that are there but that we can't explicit in, yeah, explicitly name. And Jesus, what he's doing is he's going straight to the heart of the shame that's deep in, in Peter. What is, what is Peter thinking probably about himself? I said I wouldn't do it, right? I would never do that. Do you remember when he does do it? Luke talks about he makes eye contact with Jesus and the shame he feels. He leaves. He runs away because he's so ashamed of himself. Jesus says, if you're going to go deeper with me, you've got to go back to that place. The place where you ran, we've got to go back there. And guess what? In your deepest failure, in your deepest shame, I'm going to be with you this time. I'm going to be with you. You're going to see my kind face. Peter, do you love me more than me? Are you more committed to me than, than all of them? He's not proving anymore. You know that I love you. He gives Jesus that delight. He says, do you, do you love me, Peter? You know I love you. And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? Three times he's failed him. Three times he's going into this place of the deepest, darkest, hardest places of shame in him and taking him right to that place of repentance. And I love it, guys. Historically in the church, you know, repentance is this very left brain action. Let's think about it, guys. What do we do? Oh, we have these idols? What idol do you have? You have idol of comfort? I have the idol of comfort. I'm a nine on the Enneagram. What are you on? You know, we have these, these ways we think about and this theology we think about a lot. And I love it in my office sometimes. I say, hey, well, what, what, how are you feeling right now? Well, I think um, and it, nine times out of ten, what comes out of a person's mouth? Well, I think when I ask them how they feel. Feel is all over here. It's all this relational, the ways we connect, the way we move into relationships. Jesus is saying, no, I'm not going to leave you here. I'm going to go into the essence of who you are and connect with you and give you kindness, give you, give you myself in those places to replace that shame. You see it? Jesus has a counseling session with him. I love it. And you know what? In 1 Peter 5, you know what Peter calls Jesus? The greatest shepherd of all. You know, he thinks about it, right? He's like, gosh, that was amazing. Woo! That was amazing what he did with me. Yeah, you know he thinks of it that way now because it's dealt with on such a deep level. You know, uh, at leadership training the other day, one of the things we're asking you guys to do in DNA groups is a, is a poem that's based on your story. It's called Where I'm From. And sometimes you do it at school if you're kids. And then we, at the Alder Center, they had us do it there. And it was this thing. I just got to be real. I thought, this is stupid. I, I was like, this is the dumbest thing ever. And then I wrote it. It was so powerful for me to write this thing. It's all about where I'm from. All the things I went through as a kid, all the things that kind of, this is who my kids. And mine has the, like, the beat of an 80s rap song because I grew up in the 80s, right? And it just formed me. I was in poverty culture and, 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 and in the hood, and, and 80s rap was huge for me. And so it has this cadence to it. And Kirsten and I read our stories, and I was about to read it. My heart was about 150 miles an hour up here. And I knew everybody in the room. Know you well. As I begin to face my pain, my body just begins to respond. But even more than that, I mean, it's okay for I can say I was abused. But to take you into the home with me, to take you into the stories, it's, it's 
really difficult. And I love it. When I got done, my face was down, and Kirsten Kane, in that moment, in front of everyone, it was like everyone else just kind of faded away. And Kirsten began to point out, like, do you realize how fast you were reading at first? I was flying through that thing. Because I just, that's what I've done. I've always just, I've got to get through the turmoil, get through the trauma, and then I just go live. I'll be okay. Right? She was able to, to care for me in that. And then we opened up the room, and everyone began to care for me in a way that just really brought me in. It was, it was huge. But I've got to say, there's one more reason I was really scared to read in front of you guys. The second reason is, you guys have heard my story. There's rape and there's abuse. There's a lot of bad stuff in my story that's happened to me. And I'm afraid, if you know that, you'll think, oh, it makes sense that he needs Jesus. But look at your own stories. It doesn't matter if they're as bad as mine. Some of theirs are worse than mine. But everyone needs this kind of encounter. All of you. Like, just take a moment and think about your marriage. Think about that distance of just, just continues to pit your family, right? Like that, that small contempt that comes out in relationship or the way you distance yourself, whether you're single or married. The way friendship is really hard. The way I have no capacity all the time or my emotions seem to take over me. Whatever those secrets are for you, those hard places, we all need them to encounter us in our stories. And that's why story is such a big value here. And this is how we think about story. It's like, yeah, let's go near the harm. Let's go near the hurt. Let's go near the hurt that I caused last week. Let's get near it and let's give presence. Let's deal with shame with presence. Let's attach to one another and have the kind of community we already talked about because there's where healing happens. It's in relationship. Kurt Thompson's famous for saying, he says, we're hurt in relationship and we're healed in relationship. And I love, I love as we go to our third point, uh, I'm not going to, tell you who says it because I think most of what he says is garbage but he does have this great great quote and he says this he says pain does not transform is transmitted pain does not transform is transmitted you don't deal with your pain you don't deal with those hard emotions and those struggles you will give them to others you will give them to your children to your friends and most of all you will give them to yourself so will, will you allow Jesus to come and meet you in those places and to do it through a community? That's what I feel like, you, uh, that's what I feel like he's screaming to us this morning through this or calling us to. So here, the call deepens. Um, yeah. And so now, with that community, that deeper discipleship he takes us in, we have a deeper mission now. We have a, a calling, right? What does he say? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, right? You know, a lot of Catholics believe this is where the, the primacy, is that, am I saying that word correctly? The primacy of Peter comes from. That's why they say Peter is the head of the church. I love though, First Peter 4, he says the same thing. He tells the elders of the church to shepherd his church. He uses the exact same language that Jesus used of him. So Peter claims no right to that, right? And so, and, and neither do we for Peter, but Peter calls us, to do the same thing that happened to him and how he learned it. You know, I love um, Luke 7. Luke 7 has this passage where Simon, this Pharisee, is sitting with Jesus, and he you know, invites him over and all that, and Jesus kind of catches him in some stuff, and he, he basically, at the end of this, this, um, this little uh, parable he gives him, he says two money lenders, uh, the, two guys owed some money to a guy, one owed 50, one owed like 2,000, whatever it is. Neither could pay their debt, and so the, the lender canceled their debts. Which one would love him more? 
right? Jesus sets it up, and he says, and Simon says, well, sure, it's the one who's been forgiven more, right? And he's, he says, you said correctly. Those who've been forgiven more love more. I hear those who've been forgiven much forgive much. It's not what it says. Those who've been forgiven much love much. Notice he didn't say, Peter, remember you committed to me? Look at what you did. Did you deny me, Peter? He never mentioned his behavior. What did he say? You didn't love me. What do you love, Peter? What's your greatest love? You see, the mission, guys, as we think about the mission, the mission has a point to it. It's love. It's connection. Love is the fuel of mission. Tend my sheep from the love. I filled your net. I'm filling you, John 1.16. From his fullness, he gives us grace upon grace. And then we're called out to go tend, tend his sheep, as he says. This is what shapes us. It's his forgiveness that we receive over and over. As the repentance happens and we, we recognize more and more how he's forgiven us, and that love comes out of us. It comes out of us because it's full in us. And I love it. Here, here is where we are really challenged. I don't, I don't have the verse for you, but it's, it's Acts 4. Acts 4.13 says that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were astonished. And they knew these men had been with Jesus. Think about Peter. Peter goes from this man who's terrified. Or he's not just terrified. He's pulling his sword out. And his currency is, I'll cut your ear off. You want, you want to do this? He'll go blow for blow with you. Peter only knew how to use anger. He only knew how to use force. Masculinity meant this. I'm going to do it, right? And this encounter with Jesus leads to this bold humility that now has him preaching, has him standing up against the leaders of this culture, leaders in Rome, leaders in Jerusalem. He's standing up to them, fighting the good fight, proclaiming the name of Jesus, going to jail. And then, and then he ends up dying just like his Savior, upside down on a cross is what church history tells us. Do you see the difference? See, we love Peter's, Peter of the gospel. It's like, oh, yeah, I get it. I'm impulsive. I blow through things. I constantly miss it. But the Peter of Acts, guys, he's not some special guy. Like, yes, he was an apostle, but he, we are called to do the same thing. And so that same transformation must take place. How are we called? How are we empowered? How empowered do we feel to go out and live out that mission like Peter does? And I think... That healing is connected to that kind of power is what the Scripture is talking to us about here. We need that deep surgery just like Peter. Um, and, and this is where, you know, I've told you this before, but I remember um, at the end of my, uh, for, for example, at the end of my Where I'm From poem, I talk about Kambasari's, the church, and all these places where I just felt this gaping hole in me and I was just too ministry to kind of fill it up. And I said, my story not entered. I don't remember the rhyme, but I just talked about how my story wasn't entered in those places. And I just was doing ministry to fill that place up in me. And I remember at a place where it was a real dark hole for me. Like, I don't, maybe I don't have what it takes. Maybe I don't fit in this context. And I met, I read this journal article called Peter Meets Jesus. It was by this guy named Tim Keller. And he talks about this text. And he says in it, he says, Peter becomes first. Because he's the worst. He goes, to the degree he goes down, Jesus brings him up. You see that? Jesus, I mean, Peter blows it. He's the, he's the one disciple that doesn't get it over and over and over. He's so boneheaded and impulsive. But Jesus takes him down into that. And now he's one of the primary leaders of the faith in Acts and beyond, right? 
And so that's the call for us as we think about transformation this morning. There, there's a cost, right? And Jesus paid that cost, but now he, he calls us to come after him. He says, if you'll follow me, you have a cross now. And what is that cost? What's the cost we're called to bear with him? To take of our cross and follow him. Because if we, we deal with that cross, if we begin to meet him in that way or continue to meet him in that way as a body, the mission we, we have, the responsibility of holding in that is so important. The power for the mission is the love that he transforms inside of us. Do you see that? Peter, he thought he would be the greatest leader because he performed better than anyone else. Isn't that ironic? Turns out, the most broken, with an encounter that took him to the depths of his heart, that's what led. He got to experience the fullness in a way that others didn't. Right? Can we see him like that this morning? Because then our calling deepens. And so, I don't know where you are in your marriage or with your children or where you feel, what you're feeling with your job. But Peter wasn't on plan B, and you're not on plan B. It could be that the very things you're struggling with are exactly what you need to bring into the light with him and let him care for you and, and see how he transforms. Because the call deepens as weakness becomes strength, right? As vulnerability becomes power, as we see Jesus is about being seen by him, right? And repentance, lastly, is just that simple giving into God's way of dealing with our sin. Will we give into his way of dealing with it? Because that, that's what he went to the cross for. He went out there and died in our place so that we could have his resurrection power now. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to meet you like this. And, and Lord, we all have a charcoal fire. We all have a place and places where we refuse to go or are hard to go. And we pray that Jesus we would hear your kind invitation to go to those places because your word says that your kindness leads us to repentance. So I pray we would go there with you today and that, that this community would become a place of friendship where we do fish and golf and, and, and go to the park together and, and love our city together, that you would deepen us in our community and our discipleship as our groups start, as we go to Manmaker, as neighborhood communities begin, Lord, that, that that would be a place of friendship and care and our community coming together to love one another and that, Lord, you would let the light of the, of the gospel shine through this community and show Atlanta you, Jesus, that you would transform this city even through that. We pray this in your name. Amen. I think Mike gave us a lot to think about from the epilogue of John's gospel.